This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's scripture reading can be found in the book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 17. Again, that's going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. It'll be verses 17 through 24. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to you this morning uh, as as your body, uh, united in Christ to worship you, I pray um, that this word uh, would penetrate our hearts. Uh, Lord, we confess that um, we often do uh, neglect um, prayer, but we see in your word that, that you, you listen to your people. Uh, we see that, that you have mercy on your people and that you love uh, to hear us and that you loved it to, to have us pray to you. Father, I pray that uh, as there are many in this congregation who are hurting, uh, many who are ill, many who are anxious, many who are uncertain of, of what the future holds. Father, I pray that, that you would give us hearts that love to pray to you. Father, I pray that you would direct us, uh, and as we come to you, I pray that we would be reminded of your love for us. I pray that, you, that we would be reminded that you are our true and heavenly Father, that your word is truth, uh, that your promises can be trusted, uh, and that we can look to you in all of our uncertainty, in all of our pain, in all of our um, wandering, and, and we can remember uh, that, that you have mercy upon your people. 
So, Lord, now I pray for, uh, for Pastor Aaron as he comes to preach. I pray that you would uh, give him the words to say. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would help him to be faithful to your word. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking through him and ministering to your people. Uh, and I pray equally that uh, for those of us listening, that your Holy Spirit would be at work inside of us as well, that he would be opening our ears and, and helping our hearts to receive your word uh, and to be transformed by it. Father, I pray that you would be doing a, a powerful work here this morning, and I pray that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise from it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Good morning, First Prez. Wow, that was loud. Happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. Um, I know as a dad, I really looked forward to becoming a dad, a father, and I guess in my mind's eye, I always viewed myself as father knows best, right? But if you ask my kids, they'll probably tell you I'm more like Homer Simpson. Um, that's the reality that, that I live in. And uh, the truth of the matter be that life is hard. Life isn't just hard for fathers and mothers, but life is hard for all of us. As you kind of unfold and think through about life and your life uh, specifically, we realize that sometimes we feel like we're just moving from one difficult situation to another difficult situation. It seems like our faith is always being tested. It's like we've uh, just made it through one difficult situation to find out that here we are and now yet another darker situation. The truth is that I'm not just a father, but I'm also a pastor and as a pastor, I've shared with some of you in being in your dark places with you. I've seen your tears. I've heard your cries. I've been faced with the questions of why did all this happen to me? What is God up to? What did I do wrong? It's in the tension of those questions that we come to our text this morning. I draw your attention to the first two words of verse 17. After this. After what? After God's miraculous provision of food in the middle of a drought where God cared for a widow and her son. If you go back to verse 12, we saw that this widow thought she was going to be left to die, her and her son. She says in verse 12, As the Lord your God lives, she's speaking to Elijah here, I've no, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little more oil and a jug, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare for myself and my son, don't miss this, that we may eat it and die. That was her plight, that was her situation that Pastor David unfolded with you last week. And of course you saw that they didn't die, they were actually saved. God did that through miraculous provision as the jars never seemed to empty of oil and flour. We're told in our text it was after this, what? Another horrible situation. Another opportunity for her faith to grow. The truth of the matter is, is that horrible situations are often followed by intense reactions. 
We see this all throughout Scripture, but specifically in the Psalms in places like Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, where David is crying out. We don't know why David is crying out. There's no context given for the Psalm 13. But listen to the words of David as you hear his intense reaction to his suffering. He says in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Do you hear it? The intense reaction to the horrible situation of life, whatever that was for David. And that's why many of us find great comfort in reading the Psalms. The Psalms express the heart Well, here in our text this morning, we see situation going from bad to worse. She comes out of the drought in the sense of the provision of God and and not being left to die, only to discover soon that her son is sick. And her son goes from sick to very sick, and eventually her son dies. Look at verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath of life left in him. Now the widow who had already lost her husband, that's why she was a widow, is losing again, but this time it's her child. We're not told the sickness, we don't know. Maybe it was associated with the drought. Maybe it was associated with any number of things. We're not told that. It's not important. What is important is she's losing yet again. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Even for those of us who understand we live in a fallen world, for those of us who understand that death is normal, it's not normal for one's child to die before their parent. Ironically, in this story, we saw last week this woman had already come to terms with death. But in her mind, she was going to let this happen a certain way. She was kind of going to be in control. She was going to make things happen on her terms. She was going to prepare the last meal, and her and her son would die together. That's what she assumed. But now here she is, left alive, facing the funeral of her only son. She's lost her husband, and now her child. Suffering is something that each and every one of us will experience in this life. None of us will escape suffering. Because, as I've already stated, we live in a fallen world. Our own confession of faith tells us this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 17, says, The fall brought mankind into a state of sin and misery. Notice the misery. It's not just that there's sin around us, but we actually experience the misery of life. It's not just the bending of a nail when you hammer it. It's not just the hammering of your finger. It's things like cancer and divorce and divisions in families, broken relationships, and even death. That's what we experience and know to experience because of the fall. The Westminster Confession goes on to explain this in great detail in question 19, as it says, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so are made liable to all the miseries of this life. We're enemies of God, is what it's saying. 
And because of that, we experience misery and even death itself. It goes even further. Even the pains of hell forever are our inheritance because of our sin. Friends, this is not good news. This is hard news, but it's important news. Suffering is the reality. The truth is suffering is a part of each and every one of our lives. This is why the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. A gospel that tries to tell you that your life will be better and better and better and better. Death and suffering and difficulty. No matter how prepared you think you are, suffering will happen in a way you did not expect. It will come and hit you in ways that you're not prepared for because it will test your faith. And with that suffering comes our reaction. As I stated just a few minutes ago, horrible situations are often followed by intense reactions. How do we react when suffering happens? Well, we see a picture of the way the widow react. The widow begins pleading with Elijah. She says, what do you have against me? She's pointing the finger at Elijah. She's blaming the man of God. Why are you against me? What have you done against me, O man of God? You've come here to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? Notice her attack. But one thing can be said is, in this widow's understanding, she does have at least a basic theology. She doesn't just solely blame Elijah, but she blames herself as well as she understands her sin. Maybe she's referring to her Baal worship. Maybe she's referring to other sins that we don't know about. But at any rate, she recognizes herself to be a sinner, and she understands at the basic level that sin equals death. Romans chapter 6, 23 teaches us that. The fact of the matter is that death is one of the most evil things we will ever experience. In the sense that sin brought death into the world and death is separation. I remember seriously the deaths that I personally experienced. Grandparents, my own father, makes Father's Day hard for me as I think about the separation from one whom I love and cherish. It's a reality of a broken, sin-filled world. But even after this previous display of God's grace and power and provision through the drought, these elements of grace and power are missing from the widow's theology. Nowhere do we hear her say or seem to understand that God is gracious to those who suffer. And nowhere do we seem her to understand that she should be calling out and asking Elijah to help. She never asks if God can bring her son back. She only views God's judgment. Regardless, because of her sin and her understanding of judgment, this doesn't mean that God is careless. No, God is filled with grace. 
and love. In fact, grace is not for those who've earned it. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says it well when he says, grace that is deserved is not grace at all. Let me say that again because I think it's a message each of us need to remember. Grace that is deserved is not grace at all. The woman only saw herself as a sinner. She did not see God as a God full of grace. Oh, how often we misunderstand grace. We begin to think we've earned our privilege or the love of God in some way. We've, we've done enough good things that God in some way will, will do good things for us, but that's not what grace is. Grace is given to those who do not deserve it. Even in the midst of their suffering. Corey Ten Boon, the survivor of a Nazi concentration camp, once said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Praise God. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. The grace of God is an amazing thing. The grace of God is there in the midst of this woman's sorrow. God is there present in our pains as well. And yet we see in this woman's comments that she understands in some way that, that her sin is a problem. Yet she doesn't understand the grace and the forgiveness of God. And there's an important point here for us believers to recognize that when we proclaim the word of God, when, when sorrow happens in individuals' lives, they will come after us. We will be lightning rods. The proclaimers of God's word will often be viewed as the lightning rods of those who suffer. We should, like Elijah, expect hard questions and intense conversations. But with those hard questions and intense conversations, those horrible situations offer a special opportunity to earnestly plea for others in their pain. Notice what Elijah says in verse 19. Elijah says, give me your son. He takes the boy's body, and he takes the boy's body upstairs to his room, and he lays the boy's body on his bed. And it's there in that moment we hear Elijah's earnest plea. In the rawness, he begins to cry out to God. Look at verse 20. He says, Lord my God, you've brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son. Note the phrase calamity, even upon the widow. The truth of the matter is, Elijah expects calamity for himself. After all, he's a prophet of God. He signed up for this. But why her, Lord, is what he's saying. Why her? She's already lost so much, God. Her life is, is hard enough, God. Do you see his pleading? He actually feels her pain. He puts himself in her suffering. He empathizes with her in a way that each and every one of us should. We're called to empathize with the suffering of others. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says we're called to weep with those who weep. In the book of Job, we, we read of Job empathizing for his children. As a good father does, he pleads for his children in prayer. In any way, Lord, that they've sinned against you, count it to me and not to them, he says. The truth of the matter is, we need to plead not only for our physical children, but for all God's children. Did you hear that this morning? I'm a dad, I understand. It's easy for me to pray for my children. I pray for them day and night. I pray for their decisions and their choices. I pray for their friends. I pray for their future spouses. I pray for every aspect of their life as a good father does. But I'm to pray for others the same way. I'm to earnestly pray and to plead. Dale Ralph Davis says, prayer is God's appointed means of grace for our difficulties. Let me say that again. Prayer is God's appointed means of grace for our difficulties. We already heard this morning during corporate time of confession in James chapter 5, he said, if anyone among you suffers, let him pray. But did you hear the call that we're to pray one for another? And this is what Elijah does. He is empathizing with the woman. As he says, even upon the widow, even upon her, Lord, calamity. So as the boy's body lays upon his bed, we're told that Elijah some three times lays himself across the boy's body and he prays this prayer. He says, oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Do you hear it? Do you hear prayer, uh, the prayer of Elijah? Do you, do you see his faith verbalized, specifically his understanding of the sovereignty of God? He uses the term Lord, which is the covenant name of God, the sovereign king over all. What does he pray? What does he plead? Let this child's life come into him again. He already recognized that it's God who takes life. He, he said that in verse 20. He used a very harsh statement, killing her son, he said. But he acknowledges God's sovereignty. What about us? Are our prayers filled with the understanding of God's sovereignty? Of God's rule and reign over everything? Or at times do we think some things are beyond God to even pray about? Yet in this text we see Elijah pleading on the behalf of the widow. Some three times we're told he, he set his body upon the boy. What was all that about? By placing himself on the lifeless boy, Elijah is symbolizing the transaction from death to life that he wishes to see. Awaken this boy. Rise him from this bed. Lift him up. 
Elijah is clearly teaching that prayer and action go hand in hand. So I ask you this morning, are you pleading? Are you praying for others? Do your your actions and prayers go hand in hand? Are your prayers filled with an understanding of God's absolute sovereignty? They should be. Because these horrible situations create unique opportunities for amazing transformations. God transforms the situation. Look at verse 22. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. Friends, note the words of Scripture. God listened to the voice of Elijah. These are some of the most special words in all of Scripture. God listened to the voice of Elijah. Elijah wasn't perfectly holy. There is only one who is that, and that is Jesus Christ. Elijah was a sinner like you and me, and yet God listened to him. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us to boldly come to the throne of grace, and that's exactly what Elijah did. He came boldly, believing God hears and responds. God does hear, and God does respond. Friends, what a privilege, what an opportunity, what a responsibility to pray. It's true, these words don't mean that God will always do what we want him to do. But it does mean that we can trust him, that he will always do what's best, and we can be assured that we are always heard. That's what happened for Elijah as this child was brought back to life, proving that Jehovah was alone God, and Jehovah alone is the one who restores life, not Baal. Friends, whatever situation you're facing, whatever difficulty you're caught in, whatever suffering you're feeling, do you truly believe that Jesus Christ can bring life from death? Hope from disappointment. That's what Elijah prayed. And that's what God did. I draw your attention to verse 23 where it says, Elijah took and he brought down the boy and he delivered the boy to his mother. Look at all those action words. He took, he brought, he delivered. They match up perfectly with verse 19 where we're told Elijah took the boy from his mother. He carried him upstairs and he laid him on his bed. Look at the contrast of what took place. Death and sorrow and fear versus light and power and hope. And yes, joy. Joy. When that delivery was made, can you imagine the unspeakable joy of that mother? Can you imagine? That's the joy I hold on to. For one day I know I will see my father again. The joy of knowing that God raises the dead unto life. 
Friends, God didn't just transform the situation peripheral. He actually transformed the widow's heart. Look at verse 24. The widow says, Now I know you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. What a change. Back in verse 12, she referred to God as the Lord, your God. Your God, Elijah, not my God, your God. But now in verse 24, she says, the Lord God. She recognizes there is one and one only true God who is sovereign over all. She has experienced a transformed life. Not only that, she not only sees God differently, she sees God's people differently. Look at the way she talks about Elijah. I see you as a true prophet of God who speaks the true word of God. Before she was blaming him, but now she's celebrating what God's doing in and through him. Friends, here's the point. When bad things happen, we begin to question God. But it's in these times of suffering that God proves his word true. And it's in these times of suffering that God grows our faith. And not only has the widow's son been brought back to physical life, but the widow herself has been brought back into new spiritual life. I ask you, church, do you know this new transformed life? Do you see God as the only true God? Do you know his word to be true? How do you respond to his people? Do you love them? Or are you disgusted by them? A transformed life by God is one in which all things are new. Church, while horrible situations may often be followed by intense reactions, these horrible situations offer special opportunities for us to earnestly plead for others. These horrible situations create unique opportunities for amazing transformations. The best example of this is the cross. The crucifixion of Christ is the darkest picture of suffering we will ever see. It's the place where the sinless Christ was crucified by sinful people of which we all are. And the very cross of Christ always brings intense reactions. Some cry and weep, recognizing their own sin. Others cheer and celebrate, knowing that he died for us. But some, they're angry. They reject it. They call it foolishness. They despise the cross. The cross always brings intense reactions. But it was at the cross that we hear Jesus make his earnest plea. Where from the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, he was talking about us as much as those who were nailing him to the cross. The earnestness of Jesus' plea. But overcoming it all, Jesus resurrected from the dead on the third day, making possible the transformation for all who are found in him. 
This is a total, complete transformation. This is a total, complete change, just like in the widow. But it happens to each and every one who clings to Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall never die. But Jesus' quote doesn't stop there. You know what it says after that? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the question each and every one of us must answer. Do I believe that Christ can take those who are dead and make them alive? That Christ can take my suffering and turn it into joy? See, Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is our victory, and that's why we cling to Jesus. For a moment, I speak for the pastors and the elders, and I say this, from all depths of my heart, we want you to cling to Christ. We want you to trust in Christ, his finished work upon the cross. We don't want you just to be busy doing the work, thinking that your good deeds are somehow adding to you having favor with God. We want you to understand that it's only because of Christ that any of us have hope, for we are all sinners and all in need of this transformation. If you don't know Christ today and you're not absolutely sure where you stand, cling to him. Talk to myself or David or one of the elders. Grab somebody in this congregation that you're comfortable to and ask them, what does it mean to truly trust Jesus? Friends, I know that you're suffering. There are many in this congregation that are suffering. Not just my phone, but other pastors in this building, their phones are busy as well. There is a lot of pain. The truth of the matter is, we will never escape suffering in this life. But Christ is in the suffering with us. He brings the hope and the joy and the victory taking away the pain and bringing the joy. Cling to him. Run to him. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, as we step away from 1 Kings, I pray that we're not stepping away from the cross of Christ. I pray that each and every one of us sees our need, that we recognize in our basic theology that we're all sinners. And the truth is, we all deserve suffering and misery because apart from Christ, we're enemies of God. But even in the state of our sinning, you did not abandon us, but you sent your own son who came and took on human flesh and lived a sinless life so that he could die in our place. God, I pray that we would cling to Jesus. I pray for those who have known Jesus for a while but have never seen how he can impact their struggles. I pray that we would truly see how Jesus, taking on human flesh and entering our world, he understands our suffering. The fact of the matter is we don't understand his suffering for us. God, open our eyes and open our hearts. Help us to cling to Jesus. 
Help us to see the transformation that is possible through what Christ has won. The power of God to change one's heart. The power of God to fix what is broken. God, whatever our situation, you know it. I plead for this congregation and this church, and I ask you to heal what is broken. Those who are suffering and lonely, those who are disappointed and discouraged, those who have fractured relationships, God, heal. And may that healing be found in the one and only true sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. May we abandon all for Jesus and commit our lives fully to him. We pray these things now in Jesus' name and God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.